This is a Federal News Network podcast. Customs and Border Protection deals with the world when it's on the move. Now it has a mobile app to help travelers to the United States deal with their documents and figuring out what services or information they need for arrival and departure. Joining me with a more detailed description, we have Trisha Kennedy. She's a CBP officer assigned to its Innovation Center. Ms. Kennedy, good to have you on. Good morning. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to share information about the CBP-1 mobile app. And also joining us is Sunil Madhugiri, the acting chief technology officer. Mr. Madhugiri, good to have you on. Thank you very much. Tell us who in the public that you deal with is this app aimed at? The CBP-1 mobile application will be for travelers arriving airports, seaports, and land borders. At the same time, This CBP-1 mobile app is an overarching app, so it's also for CBP stakeholders. And CBP stakeholders can be brokers, airline carriers, commercial vessels, freight forwarders, and bus operators. One of the reasons why we made it overarching is because stakeholders are typically travelers and vice versa. And this is foreign travelers coming to the United States, or is it also for U.S. people that leave and come back? So currently it is for a foreign traveler, but in the next several months, this app will be available for any travelers coming into the United States. All right. And what types of services do you offer through the app? What do people do with it? Currently, the CBP-1 app is available for foreign nationals who require an I-94 form. And an I-94 form is an arrival departure form, which confirms that the foreign visitor has been lawfully admitted into the United States. It gives some visa information and also says how long they're allowed to stay in the United States. So these travelers can apply for and pay for this form in advance. And then once the I-94 form is issued at the port of entry, they have immediate access on their handheld device to that electronic form. They know exactly how long they have left to stay in the United States, and they can provide that information to anyone who might require it. So that is to say they come to a checkpoint, say at Philadelphia or New York, wherever it might be, and the documentation is ready on their phone. Exactly. And one of our biggest benefits is if you pay for and apply in advance, you can have this form issued to you on your initial encounter with CBP. If you do not prepare yourself in advance, you'll have to be referred to a secondary area for additional processing. So as long as you prepare in advance, you can get through the CBP process much quicker, which also helps U.S. citizens and other travelers because as we get these travelers out of the secondary processing area, it's much quicker for everyone else to get processed as well. Yeah, you guys are making it so fast. People are out an hour before the luggage comes out. That's the problem nowadays. And uh, Sunil, what are the types of data sources and back-end kind of integration that had to happen to enable this? Yeah, absolutely. So to Trisha's point, you know, this is a very important application our travelers are using, especially coming from overseas. So the data component is important because what we have done it is, if you look at the application as per se, it's developed with an application called Flutter. And it has two components to it. It has a front end and a back end, like any other program. It's also very secure. Let's talk about the back end first. From the back end perspective, we have like one code base. This code base, as you can imagine, the two important um, applications which we folks download is one for iOS and Android. So both are supported and we download from any of those app stores. And from back end perspective, is currently we are using uh, Java Spring Boot, and which is a common technology that a lot of folks are using it across the board. The important thing is that our developers are, you know, who are experts in Java Spring Boot and, you know, some of the other like Node.js and things like that. Those components, what is being developed is that 
it's all generic, it's open source uh, to a certain extent, right? But also it's, it's secure. So what we have made sure is security and privacy of the information of, of the traveler is number one for us, right? So everything is completely secure. When you're downloading it, you're going into you know application, which is when you download to your phone, you know, you can learn two ways. You can render the application through using a, a URL. So we feel that's not very secure, but giving an application, which is an app running on your phone, you can get more feature functionality out of that. Plus also it'll be more secure and it'll help us for the traveling problem. We're speaking with Sunil Madhugiri. He is the acting chief technology officer. And Trisha Kennedy is a Customs and Border Patrol officer assigned to the Innovation Center, both with the CBP. What about languages available on the app? Because it is for foreign travelers coming to the United States. We will definitely offer different languages. The specific type of language is going to be specific to the capability we're talking about. So, for example, if that capability is primarily going to be utilized on the northern border, we would certainly have both English and French. If it's a capability primarily on the southern border, we would absolutely have uh, Spanish available. So the entire app is not multilingual, but as you go into each capability, the appropriate language for that capability will be available. And I'm wondering in the larger sense, having a data-based approach to all of these services and documents that people need and information, can that over time help CBP manage the border process more efficiently with information about patterns or that type of thing? Absolutely. So you mentioned that we're already doing things quickly, but you can never process quickly enough, especially from the perspective of the traveler. But from the CBP perspective, we can never have enough information and we can never have enough time to analyze that information. So the more we get and the earlier we get it, it, it makes us much more effective in making those analysis and identifying those travelers who really don't need a lot of time with CBP, but also those travelers that we might want to spend a little extra time with. And you mentioned also there are people like shippers that might use this or in the cargo setting as opposed to the passenger airline setting or the transportation employees of foreign carriers and that kind of stuff. Are they like different cases than the average tourist that might want to go see the Statue of Liberty? Absolutely. So they are travelers, but we also have ways that they can conduct business with the CBP-1 application. In particular, currently, we have an application for brokers, air carriers, and freight forwarders to schedule inspections of perishable cargo with us. And the reason we started with perishable cargo is it's a just-in-time environment. They need these inspections quickly, and they need to get that cargo to local businesses or throughout the U.S. to those businesses. So they need quick and effective communication, which typically occurred through emails and telephone calls. Now, as they're in the field, they can request this inspection on their phone, and CBP provides live status updates, live chats, they can be in constant communication with CBP and feel secure that their inspection is going to be complete. And Sunil, was this developed in-house by your own programmers or did you use a contractor or how did this all come to be technically? We have a phenomenal team of engineers who have developed this. Trish mentioned, right, initially when we started looking at this, this came out from the broker community in Miami where the app requirement was that perishable goods are coming in, we want something faster, what Trish mentioned, right? So we, we came up with a pilot program, initially created an app for this. And as time went by, we were improving the application over and over again. And we also followed the agile process, which is you know, not a waterfall process, but agile process 
where we're getting constant feedback from, from the end user, like Trish mentioned, which is which is our freight community in this case. And we kept building it. And it's all cloud-based, is cloud-hosted. We are very quick, nimble, and making changes. And you know, uh, currently the, the app is being used by multiple use cases, and we respond very quickly—not weeks, months, actually in days. So you can imagine how quickly these these things are getting built. And everything is being built in-house with and our our trusted partner in the in this case is Trish and team from OF4. We work very closely with them, and we have made it flexible enough. The architecture, so as the new features come in, we can easily apply those features and and deliver to uh, to the field like Trish's team. Sure. And how long has it been out and what has been the uptake of it in terms of downloads and so on? So the app was uh, published to the Apple and Google Play Store at the end of October in 2020. Of course, since we are in a pandemic, the traveler uh, downloads are not quite what we expect. But once travel resumes for non-essential travel, we expect that to significantly increase. But we're trying to take advantage of this time now to make sure that when travel does resume, we have the best product possible. So right now we have over, I believe, 750 downloads. And once travel resumes, we hope to get that to increase significantly. Yeah, you're looking for millions, I guess, potentially, correct? Absolutely. I just wanted to add one thing on Sunil's comment about their agile environment. The agile environment has been incredible as a customer of theirs to get this product out to the industry. Government sometimes can deliver products slowly. Their team has been amazing in getting incremental improvements to our customers. We're not waiting for perfect. We're waiting to make people's lives better. And each iteration makes it even better, even better. And then we hope to get to perfect before travel resumes. And Sunil, a final question for you. Are there elements of the code or of the methodology that you can put, say, in the government's GitHub instance that might be useful to other federal agencies? Sure. Great question. So, you know, we truly believe in sharing as to what we are doing especially in CTO, CTO office, we do have Git repositories where we contribute for public usage. To Trisha's point, there are certain components of that, of the code and things like that, which is more secure with respect to CBP. The, the, those we cannot keep in-house, but there's some generic pieces, especially the front-end UI, which is based on Angular. Some of those pieces we, we can share as to what that looks like. But some of the end-to-end connect- connectivity, because as, as you can imagine, these applications, or especially these apps, do a bunch of checks and make sure they know we are talking to the right people and the right traveler and the right importer and thing like that. So based on that, we do put stuff out, but we also keep some stuff out because of security and thing like that. But we also share this with, uh, if need be, with other components within DHS because you know there are why recreate something else. And we have done that not only from this application but other applications also where we are sharing code across across DHS, which is kind of helpful to reduce the time to develop, produce, and and uh, support the mission. Sunil Madhugiri is Acting Chief Technology Officer at CBP. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you very much. And Trisha Kennedy is a CBP officer assigned to the Innovation Center. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. We're excited to get this out for everyone to use. And we'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, 
Since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, great man theory, the leader follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader, all of these are backward looking um, development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think, I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your, a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over two million employees. Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we wanna do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace and they inspired other and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors and it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all, but is anything else you'd want 
the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as, as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. I've uh, led this is my second uh, major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And <clears throat> I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime. And uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Griffel Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week, so patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on. And you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com. We all have a lot on our plates. Work, kids, relationships. And sometimes it can be hard to just catch a breath. When life is go, 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 it matters where you stay. Hilton's family of brands is team members dedicated to making you feel truly cared for so you can mentally check out before you even check in. Take the break you deserve and book your next stay on Hilton.com. Hilton for the stay.